people would say, well, it was easy for you because you had that modeling career, easy for you to start a business. And my response to that person is, if you have the gift of anonymity, that is a gift because you walk in a door, nobody has preconceived idea of who you are. Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Kathy Ireland. If you grew up in the 90s, you might know Kathy as one of the most prominent and successful models, along with her contemporaries, Cindy Crawford and Naomi Campbell. Kathy graced the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue three times and essentially brought the magazine issue to its iconic status today. But today, Kathy is better known as an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and a role model for anyone coming from the world of modeling who wants a second life in business. Her company, Kathy Ireland Worldwide, is valued at $2 billion and boasts over 17,000 products with Kathy's name on them. She sells everything from clothing to home goods, fintech to insurance, and she's even recently started her own music label. Now, it might be easy to think that a former supermodel had these opportunities handed to her, but that's just far from the reality. My full conversation with Kathy Ireland right after this quick break. So my first question is on the portion of your career that was modeling, what would you say was the biggest trauma or challenge that you faced during that part of your career? You know, that modeling, it was, it was not part of my plan. So it was such a surprise. Um, growing up, I was really a tomboy, uh, had really, um, big frizzy hair, a big mop, one eyebrow, uh, not graceful at all. <laughs> so it was it was a surprise when a scout asked if I wanted to go to New York for the summer. And prior to that, my whole world had been as far as I could pedal my bicycle. And I really believed that all adults were just like good people, like, you know, mom and dad, and quickly learned that wasn't the case. So I, that was really the first obstacle. And then something that really became a gift, but it wasn't very fun at the moment, was all the rejection. And in that industry, you get a lot, you know, it's like, you're, you're, you're to this, you're to that, you know, not pretty enough, not whatever. And just recognizing your sense of value, recognizing where that needs to come from, as opposed to someone else's opinion of you. Yet that rejection ended up being such a great gift when I entered into business, because again, you know, doors would slam in my face. People would hang up on me, tell me it was a stupid idea. And it didn't bother me. The rejection was something that I was used to. And it, it certainly didn't destroy or defeat me. And so when somebody would say no, I would ask why, because I always want to learn and learn how to do better. And I would go back, you know, and maybe I was a little too stocky when we first started our business with a single pair of socks, just banging on doors, going back the next day, because I think, well, you know, maybe the person just 
was in a bad mood <laughs> that day. And I'll go back the next day. I recommend people maybe six months in your calendar, go back again, but don't give up. If you believe in what you're doing, just keep on going for it. I want to, for, for a second, talk about rejection because, I mean, I could imagine, especially in modeling where the rejection, as you alluded to, can come in the form of critiquing someone's looks, their body. I can imagine that being so emotionally provoking for some and, you know, would force some people to feel really insecure about their sense of self. How were you able to maintain your sense of self and confidence in who you were when you faced rejection over and over throughout your modeling career? Well, and the rejection goes back before the modeling career. I, you know, always worked as a kid, um, four years old, selling painted rocks from my wagon. Not everybody wanted to buy the rocks. Uh, I had a, a paper route when I was 11 and I couldn't wait for that job. That was something I dreamed of being old enough to, to have. And when I was finally of age, my dad hands me this ad that read newspaper carrier wanted. Are you the boy for the job? I wrote to the paper. I'm not the boy. I'm the girl. I can do it just as well as any boy. And that was really that, that first taste of rejection and discrimination first day i'm i'm pedaling up a very steep and hilly route and i'm a very scrawny 11 year old just thinking oh no what have i gotten myself into and there's this man at the end of his driveway and he he looks agitated and as i hand him his paper he just starts berating me yelling at me what are you doing here it's a boy's job you have no business being here you're never going to last and I gave him his paper. I didn't let him see me cry yet. Alex, I got to say, I'm grateful to that man because there was a lot of days I felt like quitting, but I could not give him that satisfaction. And also what would that do to the next girl who would want such a responsibility? So I would say uh, there's a two-part answer to your question. Um, how do I withstand the rejection from there? It was just believing in what I want to do. Uh, our parents just really instilled in my sisters and I that we could do anything, you know, a good work ethic, work hard, and you can do it. Dad always said, give 110%. The customer expects the paper on the driveway, put it on the front porch. So that's foundational to our learning to under-promise and over-deliver. It's the foundation of our work today. And then in the modeling, what really helped me was having a sense of identity. And that came, for me, it came at age 18. It came from meeting my best friend. And I say that with the utmost respect and reverence because uh, I was uh, alone in an apartment in Paris sounds a lot more glamorous than it was. And without telling me, uh, my mom had stuck a Bible in my suitcase and in the middle of the night with jet lag and just a rebellious teenager really questioning authority. I'd never read a Bible in my life. I opened yeah. it up and I just knew that what I was holding was the truth. Nobody was talking at me. Nobody was telling me this or that. It was just like, wow, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that's recognizing, I think, at that time, uh, this was 1981. And 
the modeling industry, the fashion industry, the people that that attracted. Met some great people, but met some really twisted, awful, evil people. Today, we would call them predators. And that relationship really changed my life in just every way. Yet one of the biggest ways was recognizing my value, recognizing God doesn't make mistakes doesn't really matter what someone else's opinion of me. They like me, they don't like me, it's okay. When navigating an industry like modeling, where your outward appearance is directly related to not only the value of your self-worth, but also your financial worth, it is so necessary to have some sort of foundation or consistent backbone to live by. And for Kathy, it was faith that guided and protected her through her early days of rejection and harassment from the industry. It was eye-opening. I'm being in New York City at 17 years old and just recognizing that I had to be really alert and not so trusting. First job assignment, the photographer was, um, back then I you know, called him a, a, a pervert. He was a predator and just misleading, took me out of the city. It was supposed to be uh, a test. So we would have these portfolios back in the last century and you go on go sees and that means it's an audition. And as you're building your portfolio, oftentimes the model and the photographer both building their portfolios, you need photographs. So it's, it's the barter and the agencies would set it up. Well, this guy, he was trying to get me in a, in a hotel room. I mean, it was bad. And I'm so grateful I got away uh, with the help of my roommates, um, called them you know, long distance because he had got me out in Long Island. And I got away, yet it was really disturbing because at that moment I started talking about it and I started learning how frequently this happens to young girls and children. And that it was just taken for granted and there were not repercussions and that a lot of girls did not get away. And so that alerted me to just making noise about it. And it wasn't really welcome. I went to the owner of the agency and told him about it and how messed up it was. The photographer ended up being blacklisted, and I later learned it was only while I was in the city. Once I left, they let him work with the girls again. Do you have a sense if the industry has evolved? Like, if these same issues exist today to the extent that you observed when you were in the height of your career, or if things have gotten better? I mean, sadly, it still exists. And, you know, there's still a, a lot of messed up people in that industry. Yet I do know that there is a heightened alertness and awareness and some of the good that's come out of the Me Too movement is people talking about it and recognizing that, no, this is not okay. And boundaries are so important. And it's really, you know, I'm continually telling young people, figure out what your values are, put boundaries in place to protect them because they will be challenged. And I was 40 before I recognized that no is a complete sentence. Uh, no, thank you is better. No works. And it's important. You got to protect yourself in every situation, whatever that might be. It's um, a pretty broken world in which we live yet. Yeah. 
I'm hopeful and I'm encouraged because I have to tell you every day I get the opportunity to meet amazing people who are doing great things in the world. And even in that industry, meeting people who work in the fashion industry who are doing awesome things. How, if at all, did your really, I would say, challenged relationship with trust when you were working in modeling, how did that end up showing up either similarly or differently once you got into your business career? Were you able to trust fully when you had been in a career prior that you kind of had to walk on eggshells and look over your shoulder constantly? I I wouldn't say walk on eggshells, yet it takes me a while to trust. And I think that's okay. Trust takes a very long time to build and it can be lost instantly. I've learned how to, I think, get to know people better, read people better, be more alert to red flags. And we, there's been times when we've been disappointed. Uh, I mean, myself and our team, we're, we're pretty open books. We're very direct. And, you know, when, when you're direct, you expect others to be the same, to be transparent, to be truthful. And people are not always who they say they are. And that happens. And I get, it's disappointing. Yet, I, I would rather risk being disappointed than miss an opportunity of meeting and connecting with someone truly wonderful. And so you get hurt once in a while. It happens. I've walked away from millions of dollars, been told it was absolutely crazy and was going to destroy our business. And I I didn't care. I mean, how people are treated is always at the forefront of what we do. Well, speaking about Kathy Ireland Worldwide, I mean... The business is obviously incredibly successful, a multi-billion dollar company, 17,000 plus products. Like it really is amazing what you've built. But um, as interesting to me, as fascinating to me is to think about all of the business endeavors that you had prior to this, because I would argue there was probably just as much learning that happened in those as has happened in the, the several years since 1993 when you started the business. Tell me about prior businesses that you started before Kathy Ireland. And I'd love for you to focus on the ones that didn't work out. Well, nothing worked out before (laughs) we started our company. (laughs) Uh, But the entire time I was working in the modeling industry, I was trying and failing at businesses and had one of those businesses taken off, the modeling career would not have gone on as long as it did. And I'm grateful for it because it was, in many ways, my college education. It was uh, a wonderful learning experience. And I I look at failure as education. So Alex, I am very well educated. Uh, One of the early business ventures I started was making beer. And I'm why do you decide to make beer? Well, because somebody gave me a book on making beer and I'm not a good cook. And I made a batch and it turned out, I thought it turned out really good. It's a fun process. (laughs) And it was the price to value ratio, the profit margins. That's what really got me excited. And I thought I can compete with all the big brewers. This is amazing. And I spent two years investing money, time, resources, travel. The next batch tasted like a science project. So it was very humbling. And I ended up, this was in the early 80s. I called UC Davis because I heard they had a, a 
brewmaster there and a wonderful program. I talked to the professor. Do you have any students who might be interested, who might work for cheap and we could kind of work together? We ended up starting Slow Brewing in San Luis Obispo, California. I ended up entering as a silent partner. I thought this would be a good way to learn from these brewmasters. And one of the things that I learned is that I didn't have a passion for it. I was really excited about the profit margins. That can't be what drives you. It can't be the money. You have to love what you do because you're going to face really hard days. And I also found, I mean, big surprise, I was around a lot of people who had been drinking too much and that wasn't very enjoyable. So um, you've got to love what you do and have a passion for it because when, not if, but when you have those difficult times, that will give you the strength and the courage and the motivation to keep fighting through. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll hear how Kathy finally did find entrepreneurial success, as well as the pitfalls of trying to succeed in business when you're only known for how you look. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. We're back to our conversation with Kathy Ireland. We left off with the story of Kathy's failed beer brewing business and how part of why it didn't succeed was Kathy's realization that she just wasn't passionate about the product or its mission. So on that note, how did you figure out what you were passionate about? Because, you know, a lot of times people ask me, Alex, I don't know if I'm passionate about this specific area of work, so I don't know if I should do it. And you, you know, to be totally frank with you, my answer has always been, for a lot of people, it's not like their passion just hits them right in the face. Like oftentimes passion can grow out of something that is interesting, provides energy, and you get successes out of, and it creates momentum. But for you, like, how did you find passion if you knew that making beer wasn't your passion? For me, I learned that my passion is being of service. And I learned that it's all about people. And I shared with you some of the uh, not so savory people that I worked with in the modeling career. And so people are are so important to me. And I, I love relationships and building long relationships. And so when we started, I was an aging pregnant model at our kitchen table. And we started with a pair of socks. And it's not that I'm so passionate about socks, yet when I met the people and I like, I truly liked the socks. They, they actually wanted me to model the socks and it's like, oh. <laughs> and it wasn't even that they were going to use my face, maybe cut me yeah, off yeah. at the knees and just do a, a foot <laughs> shot. <laughs> um, but you know, it was a job and not a lot of job offers were coming my way at that point in time. 
but I, I knew if I didn't close the door on that chapter, I might not live my dream of business and design. I had a passion for design as well. And because I like the people so much, John and Marilyn Moretz out in North Carolina, I thought this would be a great place to start the business. Everybody needs socks. This is serving a need. It's being of service. And what can our team bring as far as fashion and design and innovation? And these were made out of recycled soda pop bottles. And it was really wonderful. And so our brand today includes everything from fashion to home, jewelry, fintech, uh, entertainment, real estate it's uh, medical oh, yeah. it's, uh, you guys are in every vertical imaginable it's why well we, we've we've got a long way to go but what what is cohesive about it is we're being of service our goal is to make people's lives better to bring them great value in everything that we do and that's that's what i love i love being able to bring something that is of true value that we believe in that makes people's day a little bit better There are tons of examples today of models or actors turned entrepreneurs. You know, you have Gwyneth Paltrow with Goop, Jessica Alba with her Honest Company, Chrissy Teigen and her Cravings franchise, just to name a few. But it's important to note, Kathy was among the first of these models and actors to do this. Think about that. When Kathy started Kathy Ireland Worldwide in 1993, it wasn't a common career shift like it is today. There wasn't this blueprint for how to go from being successful at modeling to being successful at building your own business, two very different skills. But when I asked Kathy if this transition was hard, she said no. It wasn't that difficult personally because I'd grown up being an entrepreneur. I remember selling stuff to neighbors and somebody said, you're an entrepreneur. And I didn't know what, it, what, what that meant, if that was if they were calling me a bad name or not. Um, but that's always been in my DNA. Mom worked as an Avon lady, babysitter, housekeeper before becoming a nurse. She would sew halter dresses in the 70s and I'd make jewelry to go along with it dad worked in labor relations. So my parents were really hard workers and I always knew I could do something for a living. And, uh, and it, it was interesting. It was fascinating to me. And, and again, the, the great gift from the modeling was the rejection. I think it really primed me for business to just charge it and go and bang on the doors. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not easy to get retail space and it's, it's valuable and you've really got to prove yourself. Did you have any trouble with potential business partners, vendors, whoever it may be taking you seriously? You know, given that your brand was as, you know, a supermodel for the previous however many years? Oh my goodness. Yes, very much. Um, Some people would say, well, it was easy for you because you had that modeling career, easy for you to start a business. And my response to that person is, if you have the gift of anonymity, that is a gift. Because you walk in a door, nobody has preconceived idea of who you are. And yes, there were some doors that were open to me. They were the wrong doors. They were doors of curiosity. Maybe, you know, just some guy with an old magazine that wanted it signed certainly didn't take my ideas as CEO seriously. So they were doors that just wasted each other's time. So in that respect, you know, that was a hurdle to get over. And I believe created more challenges than opportunities. Uh, So not only did, did I work as a model, um, 
a lot of it was swim. And so that kind of puts you in, in a certain box. And then I became known as the Kmart lady, um, which was, you know, a wonderful retailer prior to that. I mean, it was, it was challenging. The modeling career was okay, but it was really winding down. And when you start a business, a private business, and our company still remains private, you're continually reinvesting into your company, into your team. So we had, you know, sleep in airports, whatever it took to save money. And the business grew, our spending grew as well. Uh, a, A lot of lessons learned there. And then one day we get the call that this major retailer was filing bankruptcy. And uh, that was eye-opening for us. That was uh, that was concerning because we, at that moment in time, we had 37 team members with families on payroll, and uh, I was responsible for them. And I remember the having lunch with the bank, and one of the kind of kind, fatherly bankers looked at me and said, "You know." you and your team are personally responsible for the entire liability. If this doesn't work out, we can take away all of your homes. And uh, he had this chilling smile. And uh, it was a powerful lesson to recognize the need to not be dependent upon one retailer. We stayed with this retailer until they got through their bankruptcy. I'll never walk away from someone during their most difficult times. Yet those days, they they really were pretty grim. Um, we were in debt and we were starting all over again. And when we entered into the home industry, there were many people who did not take me seriously. They did not understand that this was at a time when people who were known for other things didn't have home brands. Um, today, that's very different. And I love Jay Leno. He's amazing. Um, I was on his show telling him my plans, and he actually laughed out loud on TV. He's like, oh, you're going to start a furniture line. Um, just didn't understand it. And what would you feel in those moments when Jay Leno or anyone else would basically be like, yeah, you know, that's funny. That's funny. You're going to go start uh, this totally different business. What would you think to yourself? Well, it's the cliche, the one who laughs last. (laughs) So if anything, I mean, he, it was all good humored. It wasn't a mean laugh. It was a, it it was just a, a different kind of thing. And it inspires me. It encourages me. I love a good challenge. So when you believe in what you're doing, you don't mind someone else's opinion. It's not going to destroy you or deter you. That's why you've got to believe in what you're doing. So you can fight through when you get the laughter, whether it's good humored or not so nice, you got to be able to fight through. It was difficult for me. I remember the first time I gave a business talk, I was really nervous. And, um, it was, oh my goodness, it was years ago. And I remember peeking through the curtains and seeing the people filling into their seats. And I'm, I mean, naturally I'm a shy person and I just wanted to go run and hide. And one of my business partners who loves me, you know, he just looked at me. He's like, you are so selfish. (laughs) It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, look at those people. They bought their tickets. They organized childcare, their calendars, all of that. You know what that is. You're nervous. It's not about you. 
It's about them. Go take care of them. You have information they need. So it's like, thank you. You know that. Thank you for that. Yes. I gathered up my, my courage and I went out there and I gave the talk and about halfway through two thirds of the people had left. And I thought, well, it's business. Maybe they all had business meetings. And my team assured me afterwards that no, <laughs> I, I really needed a lot of work. I didn't do a good job at all. Uh, they walked out on it and it was, it was difficult for me because I, I was hearing the negative voices in my head. When I worked as a model, the job description was shut up and pose. I had a, a rare opportunity to speak earlier on, and someone publicly said I had a voice that could kill small animals. It was really high and squeaky. And, and I love animals. I love your dog. I hope no animals were hurt. Uh, yet it really was high. I was 25, and I couldn't order a pizza on the phone. They thought I was a kid making a prank phone call. So there was some truth to it. It's horrible. But you know what, Alex? I love when people are honest, even when it hurts. I don't want to be surrounded by yes people who just say, you know, good things. I want to hear, how do we do better? How do we get better? I had to work on my voice. And, um, and since that time, I've had the privilege of speaking to groups of over 14,000 uh, around the world. And that's been amazing and powerful. And in maturity, I've come to recognize that being comfortable, it's really not important when we have been so blessed and privileged to be exposed to needs that are so much bigger than us and opportunities that are so much bigger than us. That gives courage to get over fear, get over the desire to try to be comfortable and, uh, and just recognize it's boring to be comfortable. I'd rather be challenged. Um, if it's cool with you, I'd love to finish with a few. Uh, we like to do rapid fire questions so we can finish with rapid fire questions to uh, right. end the conversation. Um, okay. What is something that motivates you that maybe you're not so proud of? My mistakes, my many mistakes. Uh, there's a scripture in the book of Joel. It says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. That encourages me because uh, people say, do you have regrets? Yeah, I've got regrets. I don't live in them. I learn from them and I seek to do better. What is your biggest insecurity about your business? Um, and how do you manage that insecurity? <sighs> well, I love your show. I mean, imposters. <laughs> <laughs> It's easy to feel like an imposter sometimes. I mean, my formal education ended when I barely graduated from high school. And yeah. so walking into a room of people I respect and who have earned, you know, amazing degrees, um, it, it can be intimidating at times. So just remembering that, you know what, we are all different. We all have a different path. We all learn differently and it's okay. But you know, there, there's still times when that when that hits me, and I think, ah, oh, if I if I had this education, maybe I wouldn't have made this mistake or that mistake. Well, guess what? I have a college education, and I feel imposter syndrome every day. So uh, it spares no one. Um, and the final question is: What is the most embarrassing moment of your career? Could be with Kathy Ireland worldwide, or with modeling, or with both. That is totally funny in retrospect. Oh my goodness. There have 
been so many. <laughs> <laughs> Some I don't think I should talk about because it just can't be nice. Um, um, okay, I'll tell you one. Okay, great. It was a business dinner and Clint Eastwood was invited to this business dinner. I used to be a vegetarian and I certainly pets were off the plate. I wouldn't eat anything that was a former pet. And I had pet ducks. They served duck um, because I was a vegetarian when I was a kid. I got really good at hiding the food in my napkin and oh, nobody God. knew. And so they bring out course after course that I didn't like and nobody saw. It was in my napkin. Nobody saw. Then I needed to use the napkin and it's like, what am I going to do? And I noticed they had a very long tablecloth and I thought, I'll just like shake it on the floor and nobody will know. Oh my God. And then the host whistled for his dogs and the big Dalmatians came running to me eating just that, with that like, is food incredible. hanging out of their mouth. <laughs> and I never got invited back to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> But a, but a great dinner story. Um, <laughs> great dinner story, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, Kathy, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much. It would be easy to want to write off Kathy's positivity as an attitude that's a little idealistic or happy-go-lucky. But the truth is, Kathy has built and is running a company that is valued at $2 billion. So the proof is in the pudding. She is onto something with her instinct to embrace criticism and to see an initial no as a potential yes further down the road. And I think ultimately, the biggest lesson we can learn from Kathy's story is this. Know yourself, know what speaks to you most in your career or your business, and keep strong to that. Because knowing this will help you find in one way or another your best path to success and fulfillment. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our show is produced by Michaela Heck and Vishnu Valbanani. Our executive producer is Brian Henry. Our booking producer is A.B. Silver. And our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Alan Haberchak is the director of audio at Morning Brew. And Sarah Singer is our VP of multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler.